Today's horror story is written by The Crooked Boy. Most people are familiar with the acronym NSFW. It stands for Not Safe for Work. That one is usually stamped over vanilla porn, pictures of tits, etc. NSFL is one step up from that. It means Not Safe for Life. It's usually tagged over images or videos of a highly upsetting nature. Take an execution video, for example. Some unlucky schmuck getting flayed alive or chainsawed apart while he's still screaming. Or machete hacked limb from limb by guys in black masks. You'll see the NSFL tag before you click the video, so you know to stay away if you want to hold on to your lunch. Ever wonder who those videos are made for? Of course you have. And the answer probably sends your meat running cold and a flash of goosebumps sprouting up over your skin. It's made for people who get off on it. People who feel a warm tingle down south at the sight of a serrated knife running through an unprotected neck. The great rush of blood around the blade, the gurgle of the dying. Gets them hot and bothered. People love it. Nowadays, you can find most of it on the internet. Animals being thrown off roofs, torched alive, drowned. All that stuff is just a few clicks away. But back in the 90s, it was harder to come by. Rare shit. Like a foreign movie you'd been itching to see that hadn't got an American release. These were foreign films to some. Exotic is maybe a better word. Either way, I didn't realize there was such a market for the depraved until I took a job at Video Kingdom, a local video store on the outskirts of Seattle. I'm hesitant to tell you exactly where. It closed down right around the time the economy imploded, but I'm fairly certain some of our old stock might be hidden away in the dungeon. That's what we called our back room, the dungeon. Some guy would come in, Usually some white-collar sap with a Ned Flanders haircut and three kids at home. He'd trundle up to the counter, looking around like there might be FBI crouched behind the video racks, and he'd say, I'm here to rent a rare film, The Dungeon by Carl Hinton. There would be an exchanging of glances. I'd look him up and down, pretend like I was sizing the fella up, you know. He'd scan the place nervously, Looked back at me with an almost apologetic expression that said, I swear I'm not fucked up. I'd shrug and lead him through a velvet curtain into the back room. We'd navigate boxes of VHS rentals. I'd pull aside an industrial shelf that contained a hidden doorway. Lead him down a set of stairs. Neon lights from a kitschy The Dungeon sign guiding the way. We'd hit a subterranean level. The fella's eyes would turn to saucers, a hard-on tenting his pants as he wandered into our sicko's paradise. Welcome to the dungeon. I bet you're picturing some dimly lit hellhole stashed with black, unmarked videotapes. Not this place. This place was a classy establishment. Carpeted, panel to walls, lounge chairs. Dimly lit, sure, but like a cigar lounge is dimly lit. We had back rooms with TVs so clients could taste whatever they had chosen from our vast array of tapes. There were dozens of categories, like any regular video store, featuring everything under the sun. 
We had a whole section dedicated exclusively to people being run over by steamrollers. They were sourced from all over the world, I was told. Mostly Eastern Europe, Asia. I took it as gospel. I hadn't watched any of this stuff. It should be noted that anything related to kids was forbidden. That was where we drew the line. And if some guy came asking for that, we'd send a few heavies to his house with knuckle busters for his testicles and straight-edged razors for his heels. I know you're probably thinking I'm some mentally warped scumbag drifting through life one slaughter video after the next. You'd be wrong. I never watched the tapes. Never joined up to sell them either. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was 22 this summer I started working at Video Kingdom. By the time Halloween rolled around, the owner of the place had me roped into his sick scheme. By that point, I was in too deep to get out. He had me by the scruff with an ugly knife tucked up against my jugular. Metaphorically speaking. I'm going to spare the story of how I got involved. It's long and boring and surrounds me seeing something I shouldn't have while smoking weed in the storage room after work. The story of how I quit is much more interesting. I'm here to rent a rare film, he said. The Dungeon by Carl Hinton. I could tell this guy was bad news. Picture a basement-dwelling freakazoid. Crusty, slightly overweight, enough grease in his hair to keep the McDonald's fryer running for a year. Big, Van Helsing-style leather overcoat, combat boots. Unlike most folks, he wasn't nervous either. He was confident, smug even. I could tell he was a veteran. That gave me pause. I was sharing air with no run-of-the-mill freak. This guy was one step away from making his own tapes. If only I'd known, I would have said, Sorry, sir, we don't carry that. That's what we fed to unscrupulous figures. It was at the clerk's discretion. We had carte blanche to turn away anyone we wanted. But I didn't. I gave him the up and down. He never broke eye contact. His eyes were bright, amused. They were alive, like two black pools of oil, just waiting for a spark. I swallowed. Right this way, I said. He knew his way around the dungeon. That was odd. I'd never seen this fucker before, and had he been a regular, I'd have known. There were a few other people browsing. One guy who looked like a wet muskrat, another who was at least 400 pounds. There was a woman too, a real dominatrix type. Over six feet, hard features, prim hairdo. My guy didn't spare a glance for any of them. He hurried to the vault. That was what we called this old school vault door tucked into the back corner of the dungeon. It had a wheel handle with a combination dial in the center. All that remained of the bank that used to live here. I had never been through the vault door. Didn't even know it was on the other side. I honestly thought it was just there for decoration. For atmosphere. In my six months as an employee of Video Kingdom, this was the first time I'd ever seen it open. The guy spun the combination, hiding his activity behind a cupped arm. That annoying kid in class who wouldn't let you copy off his test. I heard a heavy click. He cranked the handle, and the vault door wheezed open. The skeevy guy slipped inside, slamming it shut before I could get a good look at what stood beyond. It nagged the hell out of me, like that itch you can't scratch. 
I had to know what was beyond that door, but I knew better than to ask questions in a place like this. I was the highest paid video store clerk in the world for a reason. I couldn't have gone to Carl. Carl, as in The Dungeon by Carl Hinton. Fake name, obviously, but real enough guy. He was short, big personality, like a Danny DeVito type. I'd only met him a few times, but he always treated me like a son. Slaps on the back, mussing my hair. Hell, he even called me son. But I didn't go to Carl, because asking questions meant I was curious. And you don't get curious unless you're interested in the merchandise. So, I decided to check it out on my own. Christmas Eve, slowest night of the year. I was clerking the dungeon while my colleague ran the upstairs. It had been empty for a while, so I decided to take a peek. Had I known the guy from a few months ago would be showing up, the one I first saw enter the vault, I'd have kept my ass glued to the chair. I wouldn't have gotten curious. What was the fucking combination? I tried a few random spins. 11, 22, 63, JFK's assassination. 04, 20, 1889, Hitler's birthday. No dice. The vault was locked up like a nun's underwear. I thought, racked my brain. Then it hit me like a freight train. The Kissinger tape. That was one of our videos I had seen. Carl made all the newcomers watch it. It was the first known snuff film. It was like the Santa Claus for the forbidden VHS community. A white whale, rare and iconic. Anyone who's familiar with it and worth their scruff can tell you what day it was filmed on. That was easy. Thanksgiving, 1929. I remember watching it for the first time. A sempiotone nightmare. A galaxy of grain shooting across each gory frame. I won't tell you what's on it. Well, what the hell? It starts with a family of depression-era farmers tied up in their field. Ma, Pa, Grandma, Grandpa. And two gangly teenage boys on the wrong end of their horse-pulled plow. Story goes, they had some beef with the big corporations who own their land. That's how the man got you back then. You sold some of your land for loans to buy seed or whatever. And once you took the loans, there was no getting out from under them. The corporations would twist and squeeze you until you owned nothing but the clothes on your back. Pa was clever, figured it out. Started crawling up all the farmers in a union to expose the banks. Banks didn't like that, so they hired some outside hands to make an example, and it was framed at 24 frames per second. Now, here I was, some 50 years later, spinning their death date on a dial. I spun to 29 and heard a satisfying click. It had fucking worked! My hand was shaking, trembling a little. Shot with adrenaline, I gripped the vault's handle, spun the wheel. The vault door wheezed open. Stale air and darkness spilled out. There was a bucket of flashlights on the floor. I grabbed one and clicked it on. A cone of light shot ahead, illuminating a bank vault. Metal walls crushed in. Pegs drilled into the walls held various weapons. It was like a fucked up toy box. Guns, knives, razor wire, chainsaws, hacksaws, pliers, scalpels. Anything that cuts and scrapes and plays with nerve endings was hanging from the walls. There was a pit in my stomach. 
not just at the collection of tools, but at the gaping hole eating through the back wall of the vault. It had been tunneled through the flowered steel, a narrow, rocky corridor snaking off into the earth. I inched towards it, hesitant, my heart beating its fist against my eardrums. Before I went, I decided to grab a scalpel off the wall, tucked it into my pocket as I moved into the corridor, leaving the vault door cracked, listening for movement outside. I didn't hear any. Didn't hear the basement-dwelling guy from before enter the dungeon. Didn't hear him follow me into the vault. I had already found my way to the studio by then. The passageway was rocky and claustrophobic, just tall enough so that I didn't have to stoop. After 20 minutes of barking my shins and elbows on the narrow, craggy walls, I hit a dead end. I exhaled, irritated and relieved. A horse race of thoughts had been galloping through my head as to what I might find, and I was glad my worst nightmares weren't about to materialize. Then I took a closer look and saw a false panel blocking off the egress. I moved the panel aside and stepped forward, finding myself in a crowded basement space. There were cots, beds, set pieces stacked high. It was like a prop house that a movie studio might employ for set design. There was a concrete ramp at one end. I hesitated, not sure I wanted to see what it led to. But of course I did. I negotiated the crowded room up the concrete ramp. It fed me into a soundstage. That was a wide, warehouse-like space with soundproofed walls and a network of dead overhead lights surrounding a number of different movie sets. There was a pink bedroom, an executive-type office, an outdoor-style scene in a mock forest. There were a few others I couldn't quite decipher from my vantage. It was quiet. And then it wasn't. There was a delicate sound, like an animal caught in a snare. A slight whimpering laced into the silence, like it was encased in drying concrete. It was hard to move. Breathe. I inched toward the noise hyper aware of every movement, every crash thud of my heart, each breath sawing through my lungs. I nosed toward the whimpers and saw cages, lots of them, a dozen, maybe two. Inside, like tired, broken animals were men and women, naked, cuffed, ball-gagged, curled up in a soup of their own filth. Most were limp, unconscious. A few were bleary, nodding in and out of consciousness as whatever drugs they were on wore out. An icy bolt of dread shot through me. We weren't just a supplier of rare tapes. We weren't just a distributor. We were a producer. Carl Hinton made our videos, most of them, at least. I heard footsteps behind me, started to turn. Something hard and blunt cracked against my skull. A light bulb popped behind my eyes. I crashed down into darkness. I knew my hands and legs were restrained even before I opened my eyes. I could feel the cuffs digging into my flesh. My eyes eased open. Blinding light hammered my pupils. A violent white light from overhead hurt my eyes, stung them. Slowly, a movie set resolved around me. It was a beige office crowded with paperwork and boxes of VHS tapes. 
I recognized it immediately. A facsimile of Carl's office. An exact detail-for-detail detail replica. A camera locked off in one corner, trained on me. I looked down at myself. I was still in my work uniform, hands and legs frettered to a bolted-down chair. I struggled, groaned, heard hushed voices. My back was to the door, so I had to fight in my seat for enough leverage to look around. The door opened. Carl Hinton entered. For an instant, I saw past him into the area beyond the set. I saw the greasy basement dweller with a suit who was handing over a pregnant duffel bag. Then the door swung shut, and Carl took his place behind his desk. Sorry it had to be like this, son, he said, sadly. But it would have ended the area the way. We don't do severance or 401k at Video Kingdom. He smiled at his little joke, like it was the funniest thing in the world. I tried to ask him what the fuck was going on, but I couldn't. I was gagged. Muted syllables escaped. Carl frowned. Don't bother, kid. You're fired. That's a segment we do from time to time. When employees of the dungeon hit expiration. You're fired. We don't stock it at Video Kingdom for obvious reasons, but I hear it's a real big hit in Japan. I struggled against my binds, fought, screamed into my gag. Carl just watched, slightly amused. Go on, keep it up. They love it. You know they do. You're giving them what they want. I fought harder, rattling my binds until my wrists bled. Carl sighed. The guy who's going to fix you is a regular. Real vanilla Joe, but he pays well. He'll saw open your throat. Done and done. You won't suffer. I screamed something into my gag. He smiled, piecing together my question. Nobody will come looking, son. We're processing your paperwork so it'll look like you got fired two weeks ago. I liked you, kid. I really did. Sorry it had to be like this. He got up and left. I struggled for a while. Then the guy in the suit came in, fingered the camera. The red recording light blinked on. With a sigh that said, Sheesh, this is not the position I want to be in. He claimed the spot behind the desk, pretending to be my boss. He was practically vibrating with excitement as he started through a poorly written script about how my employment was being terminated. I didn't hear any of it. I was focused on something else. A scalpel I had tucked into my back pocket. My hands grazed the handle, just out of reach. I strained harder, vaguely aware that the guy was done talking. He was rising now, producing a big bowie knife with a serrated blade. He was walking over to me. I got the scalpel between the tips of my fingers. He yanked my head back, exposing my neck, getting ready to slice through the big net of veins pumping blood into my brain. The scalpel was coming, coming. The bowie knife went up. The scalpel slid out, slipped, fell. I reached out and caught it just in time. The bowie knife came down. I gripped the scalpel and stabbed. It was a blind stab, inhibited by my lack of wrist movement, but he was right behind me and standing crotch level with the arc of my swing. The scalpel sunk through hot flesh. I felt it burrow through skin and gristle. I felt something pop as it sunk in further. He screamed and the bowie knife went tumbling. I knew why I caught him in the testicle. 
I fumbled the scalpel, plunged it into the handcuff lock, worked it around. The handcuff sprung, fell away. The suit was rolling around, groping his groin. Blood roared through his fingers. He was howling, agony. I bent down for my leg fretters as the door flew open. Carl and the basement dweller tried to push in at the same time. They got stuck in the doorway. It was a bit of slapstick, which would have been comical had I not been on the wrong end of a snuff movie. My leg fretters fell free. By now, Carl and the basement dwelling Van Helsing had stormed the room. My scalpel flew up, caught Van Helsing in the jugular. He flopped back, a great spray of arterial blood shooting from his neck. Carl grabbed me, shoved me back. We hit a wall. Framed pictures of the ocean hit the floor and shattered. Carl throttled my neck, his fingers digging in and sealing off my windpipe. I stabbed blindly. The scalpel went through his cheek with sickening ease. I ripped up. A mist of blood sneezed out as I opened his face like a zipper. He grunted, howled, lost his grip on my neck. His hands went up to his face, trying to wrench free the scalpel embedded there. I planted my foot in Carl's stomach and kicked with everything I could muster. He flew back, toppling ass over tea kettle over his desk. I heard bones break. The room was a mess of screams and blood. I popped the VHS tape out of the camera and bolted for freedom. I was about to stuff it in my pocket when my gaze caught the duffel bag I had seen the suit hand over. I ripped it open and was met with cash. Lots of it. Enough to run away on. Enough to start anew. I shoved in the VHS and grabbed the duffel, never looking back. I don't know if any of them survived, but I do know Video Kingdom remained open. It held its spot in the Seattle Yellow Pages until it closed. Would send for the book each year. Have them mail it to my little corner of America, along with the newspaper, which I would pour over for articles about my old boss. I never saw any. Since then, I've lived like the Unabomber. My world is limited to a quiet cabin in the woods, and my weekly trips to town for essentials. Otherwise, I keep to myself. Always looking over my shoulder, always carrying the guilt over those men and women I left behind. Guilt over the things I haven't done about what I've seen. You probably think I would have gone to the police. I didn't. I took the tape and ran. Had I forfeited the footage, I would have lost all leverage against the people who wanted me dead. That VHS is my bargaining chip. All I have left. After I escaped the dungeon, I mailed an anonymous letter to Video Kingdom telling them that I had made copies, which would be screening in every police precinct in Seattle if I were ever harmed. This was a lie. There was only one copy of the tape, and it was hiding in a shoebox under my bed, along with the little cash I had left. I started this transcript because I've been seeing strange things lately. Fresh faces in town. SUVs with tinted windows. I can't help but feel they're following me, watching. And sometimes, if I stare at those tinted windows long enough, I can see the eye of a video camera on the other side. <laughs>